so glad you've joined us on the ERLC podcast to explore how the Bible addresses important cultural issues pertaining to life, religious liberty, marriage and family, and human dignity, and how we can walk in wisdom for God's glory and for the flourishing of our neighbors. If you're enjoying this podcast and find it helpful, please leave a review wherever you listen. This will help more people find and benefit from what we're learning together. We are grateful for the time you take to join us for these conversations. Welcome to the Digital Public Square, a podcast from the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission about ethics, theology, and philosophy in today's society. I'm your host, Jason Thacker, and I serve as Chair of Research and Technology Ethics and also help lead the ERLC Research Institute. Each week, I'm joined by some of society's most influential thinkers, writers, and leaders to talk about the important ideas shaping our society today, as well as some of the top issues of life in the digital public square. Our goal with this podcast is to equip you to navigate these issues with biblical wisdom and insight. As always, alongside this podcast, we also have the Weekly Tech newsletter that you can sign up to receive each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing ethical issues of technology, as well as life in the digital public square. You can subscribe now at jasonthacker.com slash weeklytech. In today's episode, I'm joined by Dr. Derek Sherman, who's a professor of computer science at Calvin University and the co-author of a new book entitled A Christian Field Guide to Technology for Engineers and Designers with IVP Academic. Today, we talk about developing responsible technology and specifically what that means for engineers. Dr. Sherman earned his PhD at McMaster's University and previously taught at Dorn and Redeemer University before coming to Calvin. Prior to teaching, he worked as an electrical engineer designing embedded systems. He's also the author of Shaping a Digital World, Faith, Culture, and Computer Technology with IVP Academic. And now let's join our conversation. Well, Derek, it's really great to have you back here on the Digital Public Square podcast. Last time we had you on the podcast, we focused on your first book with IVP, uh, Shaping a Digital World, in which we talked about the storyline of scripture, kind of the nature of technology, how we should approach it from a perspective of faith. This book takes kind of jumping off of that a little bit and takes kind of a different approach. Obviously, there you have two other co-editors on the book, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about what makes this volume distinct and why you all wanted to take on a project like this. Yeah, I uh, this project basically was uh, born out of the, the sort of need for a textbook that could serve first-year you know, engineers at Christian colleges. That was sort of the primary motivation. Shaping a Digital World was sort of written for computer science students. Uh, I use it in a capstone course, and it's used at a couple of Christian colleges for that purpose. But there really hasn't been a distinctive book for Christian engineering students at Christian colleges and universities, uh, most of which have a capstone course of some kind where they're called to integrate faith and engineering. There's lots of resources that you can draw on, but there's no book that's tailored uh, for that, to my knowledge. And so that was our primary motivation. So yes, this book is targeted to engineers and engineering students. We hope more broadly it'll be helpful for practicing engineers as well. And uh, the book basically covers a variety of topics, um, starting with situating technology within the biblical story 
and then looking at different uh, ideas for faithful design guides for engineers, ethics for engineers, uh, from a Christian perspective distinctively, looking at sin and technology, technology in the future and the past. Then it also talks about the calling of an engineer, and, uh, and then ends with letters uh, between a, a, an engineering professor at a Christian college and a former student who's wrestling with how to be faithful in his new job as a, as a design engineer. Yeah, that's one of the things that I appreciate the book is that often a lot of books that we do have kind of within the Christian space are written for kind of the wider culture, whether it's the wider church or kind of engaging on policy issues or ethical issues or theological issues, but not really tailored specifically for designers and engineers, which I think is a really unique contribution of this book. And I know we have a number of listeners who actually work in the technology field. Um, so I think this would be a really helpful book for those. As you said, it was written as kind of as a first year book, but hopefully we'll be able to serve uh, many more. I know early on in the book, you all reference that there's often a disconnect uh, between people of faith and our Christian beliefs and fields like technology, science, and mathematics. Why do you think that disconnect exists? And how, how does our faith go about kind of shaping every aspect of our life, including the STEM fields? Yeah, I think this disconnect is one that I can I can identify with personally in the in the forward to my shaping a digital world book. I recount a time when I was sitting in a cubicle farm as a young engineer and trying to connect my faith with my work as an engineer. You know, and then I quote this early church father Tertullian who asks, "What does Athens have to do with Jerusalem?" Uh, which is a way of asking, you know, how does what does faith have to do with culture? And I think that Christians still struggle with this. I think in some circles there's a little bit of a dualistic view of Christian service, you know, seeing pastors and missionaries as perhaps the preferred route of Christian service. And then if you can't do those things, you take on other roles, you know, with, with the end of supporting pastors and missionaries. And I think that's a very a narrow view of thinking about vocation and calling. It's a very limited view of, of seeing what constitutes legitimate Christian service and so this was written basically by engineers for engineers to help them think about what it means to be faithful inside of their work. And I, I think the, the hope is, is that, you know, this book can help them see their work uh, within that light as a, as a legitimate calling, something where they can show love to neighbor, where they can give glory to God um, in, in their work. And we even have a specific chapter called, Must We Leave Our Neural Nets to Follow Him?, which is a, a bit of a, a play on, uh, uh, you know, leaving our nets to follow Jesus. And, and in that chapter, we specifically address the fact that engineering is a legitimate calling for those who've been given those gifts and is a legitimate way to, to serve and live out our, our Christian life before the face of God. Well, I think when a lot of times, kind of, I guess one of the biggest questions I receive often, I would assume you do as well, is, people assume that the Bible doesn't really speak to technology issues. And I think that's partially because we've kind of grown up in kind of a proof texting culture where we look, go to the concordance and we look for technology or smartphones and engineering and algorithms. We don't see anything, so obviously the Bible doesn't really talk about it. Or we might have a story here or there that may seem to overlap or bring some kind of principle into it. But one of the things I've appreciated about all your work, and specifically in this one, is you you really address kind of the biblical storyline, how technology is part of this meta narrative, this larger story. And that I know that's been influenced a lot by your reformed background, 
and the way you approach kind of worldviews in general. But can you help us understand a little bit more about the biblical storyline and technology specifically, especially around the design and use of these tools? Yeah, we have a chapter right near the beginning titled The Survey of Technology in the Biblical Story. And our goal is to avoid that temptation to go hunting for proof texts to apply. Often that ends up in kind of abusing scripture or using it in ways it was never intended. But that's not to deny that scripture isn't uh, a useful resource for informing our work in technology and as engineers. And so we, we do use that grand scriptural narrative. I find the quote by Alistair McIntyre really helpful. He's a philosopher of ethics, and, and he once said that, I can't answer what ought I to do until I answer the prior question of what story am I a part? And I think it's the biblical story that sets the frame for our work as engineers. There's other competing stories, to be sure. Right? There's the Enlightenment story. There's sort of the story of modernism. There's transhumanist stories. There's all kinds of stories which see technology quite frankly, is either the savior or the villain. Um, but uh, I think the biblical story sort of situates technology and it puts it into its proper place. We see uh, within that grand narrative, the basic themes of creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And you're right, I, I sort of grew up with that biblical narrative. Being in the Reformed tradition, it's, it's shaped my whole life in a lot of ways. One book that's been very, very influential to me in, in thinking that way is is a a little book called Creation Regained by Albert Walters, who was a former colleague when I taught at Redeemer University. And so using those themes, I think we can, we, we can get a better idea of, of, of what it is that our calling is with technology, what the problems are. So in creation, we see the latent potential for technology, that it's part of uh, God's good creation, uh, that already it was part of what we were intended to unfold and develop like all other areas of human culture. The fall gives us some understanding about what's wrong with the world, and we see technology is also part of the creation that is suffering from, from the effects of sin, and, uh, and also our hearts, how we're tempted to put our trust in, in idols, and technology, I would say, is one of the idols of our time, and, uh, and so we, we can understand and, and appreciate that better if we, we see that within the frame of that story. And then, of course, redemption is the story of Jesus Christ, who's come to redeem to reconcile all things to himself, using the words of Colossians 1. And, and we're called to be agents of reconciliation along with him. And so we, we see technology as, as one of the areas that's in need of, of thinking about what it means to be faithful. And then, of course, we look forward to a day when all things will be made right, not by technology, but by you know Christ ushering in the new heavens and the new earth and when all things will be made well. But we'll be going from a garden to a city. We see a trajectory of, of moving towards a city. And so already within that image, we see that technology was intended to be part of the natural unfolding of, uh, of creation. So I, I, that, that story, uh, I've put it rather simplistically and given only broad sketches, but, but it sort of situates how we see technology and what our role is, uh, and I think gives us a good foundation for thinking about what it means to live faithfully in this area as, as engineers. Yeah, I mean, obviously, and especially when I teach technology ethics, so I'm very clear to my students and to all who ask me, uh, they say, like, what's your background in technology? And I actually say, well, I'm an ethicist and a moral philosopher. That's really where I come in. And I also know my my strengths, but also my weaknesses in some of these conversations is I'm not a technologist per se. 
you come from a very different kind of flipped background in some sense. You come to this as an electrical engineer, as a technologist who has wanted to bridge your faith in this rich tradition of Christian belief along with your vocation and your calling, and you teach computer science now. I think a lot of times, a lot of resources that we have out today are focused more for kind of the wider culture. And this resource is unique, as we've already talked about, is that it's specifically designed for designers and engineers. So one of the things that I wanted to ask you, because I think when we talk about technology issues, I'll say, like, what are the top issues in technology? And we can name a few. and We might have some shared across our list. But coming from your unique perspective and the students that you're writing this book for, the readers that you're writing this book for, what are some of the unique issues or challenges that Christian technologists might be facing that maybe the wider world isn't thinking about yet, or we are, but just in very different ways? Yeah. So one of the chapters shortly after we do a survey of technology in the biblical story is one that talks about responsibility and design norms is the word that we give to it. And so we, we sort of look at technology is not just about devices and about widgets uh, and about specific technical activities, but we see it in its wider frame as a human cultural activity. And because of that, it, it has norms. There are certain ways that things ought to be. Technology affects sort of our social interactions. It has justice implications. It has implications for culture, has faith implications, ethical implications, uh, as you mentioned and aesthetic implications. There's all of these sort of spheres, quite frankly, that are often barely touched upon in a standard sort of engineering education, unless you attend a a liberal arts university. And and to my knowledge, most Christian universities teach engineering within the context of a liberal arts core, which which I think is really, really helpful because we see that God's creation uh, cannot be reduced to technical components, to, to, to numbers, to mathematical equations, to uh, differential equations, as powerful as they are, that God's creation is multifaceted, multi-aspectual. And when we're doing engineering work, we, we um, if we're going to do that responsibly, we can't just have our blinders on and think strictly about the technical sort of aspect of what we're building. The things that we build have huge normative and ethical implications. And so that's motivated, I think, out of a broad view of the diversity and complexity of creation, uh, a non-reductionistic view of creation, one might say, but then also about you know human responsibility, how we exercise freedom and responsibility in the work that we do. And I think, you know, to be fair, uh, there are a lot of uh, secular engineers who are aware of this. There are codes of ethics for engineers. There's an IEEE code of ethics and uh, an ACM code of ethics. There, there's a, a National Society of Professional Engineers code of ethics, which, which I think recognizes the fact that technology has huge ethical issues. And so I think there is broadly an awareness of this, but I think a Christian perspective comes out of this you know, notion that creation includes all of these things. And then we have a responsibility not just to do no harm, but to show love for our neighbor and to think about normative ways that God would have us unfold technology. So, so it's, it's, it's much broader than I think you'd normally see it within other contexts. Um, the Christian context, I think, gives you a much broader view of what your responsibilities are and what your calling is when you're working in these areas. 
Yeah, I really love the way you say that is that obviously there's the do no harm principle, which we could have a whole conversation just specifically about what is meant by harm and whose who's definition of harm is operative in a lot of these kind of ethical statements and things. And, you know, as you know, uh, we put together the statement of principles on artificial intelligence uh, from the ERLC a few years ago. And that's where we were trying to speak in and give a little clarity sometimes to this language that's used that's ambiguous um, in ethical statements like harm or hate or diversity and inclusion. Like, what do you mean by that when you say that? Because it can be interpreted different ways. But I love how you said there's kind of that higher calling. As Christians, it's not just about the harm principle, but actually calling to love. So it's not just keeping someone from having some a dangerous kind of in, interaction or a use of these, techn- or these technologies, but calling them to a higher thing is how are they ultimately as Christians, we say, pointing people to love God and love our neighbor more, which is really the centrality, the central element of the Christian ethic. So as we think about this from a more engineering and designer perspective, I quickly get out of my depths here. So correct me if I'm wrong. But what are some of the issues that we might not be thinking of more specifically, like that as someone who comes as like a moral philosopher and ethicist that I'm not thinking of maybe um, or not aware of or maybe something that's coming down the pike here soon off into the future that you're concerned about or that you're specifically encouraging your students to think deeply about while they're in their programs? Yeah. In in computer science, there's a lot of obvious issues that immediately come to mind, you know, things like artificial intelligence, as you've written about uh, automation, these sorts of things. In this book, we are trying to address a wide swath of engineering disciplines, you know, which includes civil engineering and mechanical engineering and systems design engineering and uh, electrical engineering and so on. And so each of those fields have their unique challenges uh, that they face, but we don't really get into some of those details. We try to create more a framework and way of thinking about it, specifically about ethics. We've written a chapter on engineering ethics, which we've, we've titled Beyond en- Engineering Ethics. And the reason for that title is that the way ethics is often taught in engineering classes is through case studies. And so a case study will be presented and students will usually have been introduced to three basic ethical paradigms, you know, so the deontological ethics, uh, utilitarianism and virtue based ethics. And so the question will come up, well, which framework do you want to apply here? And uh, and what's the answer to this case study? And, And students will go through many of these. And I, you know, while there's there's some value in doing that, um, I find that that also is a very limited view of thinking normatively. Uh, and so, you know, especially case studies, I think oftentimes case studies can be so obscure and so rare that they seem so far removed from our everyday life that ethics then seems to be something that you take off the shelf when some rare, unusual dilemma arises. You know, like the classic one in computing is sort of the trolley problem, right? Or something that's sort of these obscure thought experiments. And I think the message to students then is that, you know, ethics sits on the shelf and you pull it off when these rare events occur. Uh, And so instead we, um, and I found very helpful in this discussion, a book by N.T. Wright called After You Believe, which I think is a wonderful book about ethics. And he, he basically, you know, talks about you know, virtue ethics as being something that uh, that seems to have a lot of overlap with Christian thinking, but uh, the, the language that's used more specifically in the New Testament is one of Christian character, developing Christian character. 
and so the ancient Greeks already talked about virtue, but but what the what the Bible and what uh, what we read about in the New Testament goes far beyond that, right? And there's things like humility, which uh, which just can't be exercised as an individual. It's something we need to exercise in community. And so thinking about what it means to become more like Jesus as an engineer and thinking about, you know, what it would be to know, to become the kind of person who knows how to respond in a way that is uh, reflects God's will for his creation in the context that we find ourselves and, and all the breadth that that includes. So, so a much bigger, bigger view. And then we pull those norms back in. We talk about the norms and how they apply to every part of your work, how you interact with your colleagues, you know, how you treat your customers how you go about, you know, the, the way that you live and move and have your being every day. So it, it's a much more comp- comprehensive uh, notion of ethics. And hence, we called the chapter Beyond Engineering Ethics. Uh, we want to zoom out and have a, have a bigger view of what that entails. Yeah, one of the ways that we've talked a lot about on the podcast, and kind of I talk about it throughout my work, is often, as you said, we see ethics as this kind of almost esoteric discipline as you said, kind of is put on the shelf and only taken down when we hit that really big problem that seems, you know, we can't figure it out. Um, And that's kind of the, you know, the classic trolley problem. There's not really an answer per se to it. And that's the point is that it's encouraging people to think through things. But the problem and kind of the flip side of these kind of unanswerable ethical dilemmas sometimes, not that there isn't an answer, but it's not immediately clear, I think is the better way to say it, is that we can treat ethics as this sub-discipline or this kind of uh, outlandish thing that we really don't have to spend time on. And so that's one of the things I appreciate about your work is that you you incorporate to say, you know, how we talk about the language we use is really ethics is discipleship. And that's what I loved about that N.T. Wright book that you pointed out is this after you believe, like, what are, what are you to do? And that's what um, we'll talk a lot about is the nature of how theology is God speaking to us, revealing himself to us. And the nature of ethics is us, how we respond to God. And that's in every single day, in every single aspect of our life. And I think teaching that, especially in a book like this, packaging it this way, and then teaching students that is that really ethics is discipleship. And it's part of your every single day, you're making ethical decisions, um, some very consequential, some very inconsequential in some, in some ways, but they're forming you and shaping you into a specific type of person. Yeah, I, t- I talked to my students about the notion of living quorum deo, you know, before the face of God. And we do that in our engineering too, right? And, and we always respond lightly in that sense. All of life is religious and everything that we do, we're, we're responding in obedience or in more disobedient ways. And to kind of think of our life more holistically within that kind of a framework and avoiding the notion of seeing ethics, like you say, as something that is pulled uh, into interview when some rare dilemma arises. And I think sometimes the way the engineering curriculum is arranged, it feels this way too, because, you know, a typical engineering undergraduate degree is a whole bunch of technical courses, and then perhaps an ethics course slapped on the end. And so you wonder, you know, how do you create, how do you foster, how do you, how do you cultivate a, a virtuous engineer if you're kind of slapping an ethics course on at the end. It needs to be something that's sort of pervades the curriculum. But more than that, it needs to be a set of practices, I think. I, you know, if, if you think, you know, that virtue and Christian character is an important part of ethics, then it's something you need to practice. It's something that you need to um, cultivate. And so it's not just a set of books that you read. I like how N.T. Wright actually gives the example of Captain Sully, right, who, who landed 
uh, this plain on the Hudson River. And, and he, he was able to do that because he had in his bones sort of the feeling of what needed to be done in that circumstance. When, when there was little time to do all the calculations and read all the manuals, he had to have a gut feel as to what it was that needed to be done. And he instinctively did that. But that came from thousands of hours of, of flight practice and dealing with uh, challenges over years. Um, and, and I think the Christian life is the same sort of way, right? We, we, the Spirit works within us, uh, and we cultivate these fruits of the Spirit, and we develop in character to be more like Christ. And that enables us to be able to know how to respond when different situations come up uh, and, and to have the wisdom to be able to approach that. So, I mean, ideally, an engineering education would not only be a set of books and a set of curriculums that affect the head, but to be a set of practices, <laughs> ideally. And that set of practices, I think you, you really hit the nail on the head there, is that set of practices is not a quick fix. It's not something that you can just pick up from a book or two. It's a lifestyle. It's something that takes time. Um, and I love how the Bible speaks to often in our culture, kind of modern secular culture, we think of your value and your dignity is based on your contribution to society. And Christian ethics says no to utilitarianism in that sense um, and saying, no, it's actually something that's innate. It's something that you've been created. You've been made by God in his image. So your value, your worth and your dignity isn't tied to what you do. It's tied to who you are and who made you. And so I love that kind of wisdom approach because it's not something that's a quick fix. It's something that takes time. And it also speaks, the Bible very clearly speaks to the value of old age. And it speaks to the, you know, the glory of having gray hair in some sense of the value, the experience and the wisdom. And that's one thing that you do in the book that I think is really interesting and really cool. And I really like how you put it together is this letters to an engineer. So I want to kind of tee you up to say, what are these letters to an engineer? And uh, why did you all want to include something like that in the volume? Yeah, yeah. So the last chapter, which is one that I wrote, is, is titled Letters to a Young Engineer. And, and basically, it's a set of letters exchanged between an older professor at a Christian college and a recent graduate. And if I'm completely honest, you know, I'll admit that these letters and some of the sort of ideas that are exchanged and uh, aspects of the circumstances are, are a reflection of my own experience, you know, as a young engineer and also as a professor. And it was also informed by conversations with alumni from the Christian colleges I've taught at and, and some of our students. But yeah, it, what you see there is the the importance of a, of a mentor who embodies a worldview um, that can be someone to encourage and, and help you in, in your work. And, and in this case, we have a young engineer who's recently moved and taken on a new job in a high-tech center. And there's this, and he's writing letters back to his professor saying, you know, now I've got to learn how to live this out and it's not easy. And he shares a couple of specific circumstances that he's wrestling with. And of course, the, the engineering professor is able to give him some encouragement. You know, he encourages him to be a Daniel and not a Dilbert <laughs> in the Kilbert, in the cubicle farm and, uh, and points to this, the, the, this bigger idea too, about cult the importance of, of uh, cultivating certain practices in his life, about uh, being part of a worshiping community, uh, about not neglecting prayer and reading scripture but then also gives him some practical advice about addressing some specific situations that this young engineer is wrestling with in terms of things that he's uh, encountered in his work. 
and this mentor also helps him remind him that uh, that you know his his identity is not just in being an engineer. He's also called to be a, a good neighbor, to attend to his family and his church, his community, to see his vocation is bigger than just his you know paid job. Um, and so there's some discussion about vocation as well. And so I I I, I hope this is a helpful encouragement to uh, to to people, especially on the beginning of their careers. And maybe it's a, you know, a, a little bit of a model for how older folks who've, uh, who've worked in engineering or in technology for many years can be an encouragement to younger folks to help guide them. So yeah, there, there's some, if, if, if you, if you read it, you might detect that there's some echoes of, of some of my own uh, experiences and feelings that are sort of woven through those letters that go back and forth. Well, that's one thing that I love about your work is that you, you do bring such a, a breadth to your work. It's not just kind of siloed in ethics or siloed in theology or siloed in engineering per se. And you do this throughout your work, but it's especially prevalent throughout this work. And the one, the interesting thing is kind of Calvin's connection, Calvin University, where you teach and in these questions about the nature of technology. I mean, even you referenced early on that this is kind of an, almost an updated version of an older work that was produced at Calvin years ago, but 20 or 30 years ago to that end, is I'd love to hear maybe some resources that you would recommend for folks, whether they're engineers or just lay people or um, in other fields um, of vocation who are kind of interested in some of these conversations and maybe want to dig a little bit deeper. Are there some resources that you would recommend people to pick up? Yeah, so um, so just to put a plug in for that old book, which is somewhat dated but has informed a lot of my work, it's called Responsible Technology, written by the Calvin Center for Christian Scholarship, edited by Steve Monsma, and it was con- there was about four or five contributors to that volume, and it it, it is it, it is somewhat dated now, and and it's relatively dry reading. In fact, our book, A Christian Field Guide to Technology, our first instinct was to rewrite responsible technology and just update it. That was our original goal as three authors. And we quickly came to the conclusion like, no, I think we need something different for the time and place that we live in. And so in our book, we, we made a point of, uh, of drawing not just deeply on Christian theological and philosophical principles, but making sure it was accessible, you know, with stories. Each, each, uh, each chapter begins with a story. Uh, and there's illustrations throughout, and the stories illustrate practical examples, and, and what we hope will be a much more engaging read for university students. But in addition to responsible technology, the other book I mentioned was, you know, Creation Regained, which I think is one of the, you know, basic worldview texts that has been very, very formative to me. That's by Albert Walters and published by uh, Erdman's. In addition to that, I think another helpful recent book is Modern Technology and the Human Future by Craig Gay, which I think provides a really good philosophical foundation to that. And then finally, just to repeat the book that I mentioned previously, that's N.T. Wright's book, After You Believe, Why Christian Character Matters, I think is an excellent book for people who are thinking about ethics in in different uh, professions and different areas by providing a really good biblically based kind of look at that and and comparing and contrasting that to the typical ethical frameworks that you find in in most uh, philosophy of ethics courses you know the deontological utilitarianism and virtue based ethics and then comparing and contrasting those with a uh, with a, with a biblical perspective by an excellent biblical writer NT Wright so it's it's a very accessible book too 
Well, for listeners' sake, we'll make sure to list all of those in the show notes, as well as Derek's previous book and then this current co-authored book that he just put out from IVP. Well, Derek, I really appreciate your work and the work that you all have put together in this really important volume. And I really appreciate your friendship. Uh, You have been an encouragement to me over the years, and it's really uh, just a joy to have you here on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you too, Jason. I've enjoyed getting to know you and uh, and appreciate your friendship as well. And I, I wish you blessings, continued blessings on your work. Well, from all of us here at the Digital Public Square, I want to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this conversation, would you consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcasting app? These reviews really help us to know how we're doing and also share the word about the podcast with others. As a reminder, you can connect with Derek and learn more about his work, as well as some of the recommended resources we talked about in the show notes. Also make sure to sign up to receive the weekly tech email briefing each Monday morning. This resource is designed to prepare you to think deeply about the pressing ethical issues of technology in the public square, as well as to stay up to date on the latest tech news. You can sign up at jasonthacker.com slash weekly tech. The Digital Public Square is a production of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission and is produced and hosted by Jason Thacker. Production assistance is provided by Cameron Hayner and technical production provided by Owens Productions. It's edited and mixed by Mark Owens. Thank you, and I hope you have a great week.